You're listening to Movie Mixtape on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm your host, Alyssa Matthews. This week, we speak to Jen Wexler about her slasher film, The Ranger, and Joey Vong reviews Call Me By Your Name. The Toronto After Dark Film Festival brings a mix of horror, sci-fi, and genre film to Toronto each October. At this year's festival, I had a chance to speak to Jen Wexler, director of the punk slasher The Ranger. Here's our full conversation. Thanks for taking some time to talk to me today about your film The Ranger. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me. Of course. Uh, so it screened last night at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. I thought maybe just to start, um, I get you to tell us a little bit about the film. It's a movie about a bunch of teen punks that get in trouble with the cops, and they go to the woods to hide out from the cops, where they come up against a killer park ranger, and he starts to take them out one by one. Cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, you just mentioned, of course, it's a bunch of punks. Um, I found the music in it is um, really fantastic and I think also brings a ton of uh, energy to the film. And I guess it has a bit of a Canadian uh, connection. Um, So could you tell us a little bit more about the, the music in the film? Yeah. Well, we have on the soundtrack, Gagel Abortions, and also, our composers are Wade McNeil and Andrew Gordon McPherson, and they're from Toronto. And um, Wade is in the band Alexis on Fire and Gallows. Um, overall, with the soundtrack, we I really wanted it to feel like a mixtape, and I really wanted it to feel like like when the punks are in control, like you're hearing their music, and then as they kind of lose their way in the woods. You, uh, you know, you go more into Wade and Andrew's score, and it becomes more cinematic. Uh, and then ultimately, you, you're listening to the Rangers' music of choice as he kind of gains control. So it was really cool, you know, being able to to play with the music while I was in post. We worked with uh, my uh, producing partner Heather Buckley, and I worked with the music supervisor. Mita Goodwin, who was a band promoter back in the 80s, and he was friends with all these bands, and he kind of got them to like sign off on being involved in the movie, and then he just gave me a bunch of albums. He was like, you can use music from these albums. So it was really special for me as a filmmaker to get to like sit with my cut, like listen to different songs and figure out like thematically and energy-wise what made the most sense for the film. Yeah, that's that's really uh, neat to hear that you kind of got to work with that music at the time. And I found like especially, you know, the energy in the film, it's super high. And I think it, it even just from the beginning and um, I was around for a little bit of the Q&A last night. There was a mention about the the opening scene kind of starts at a show. Um, what's sort of the story behind that? That was an actual show that you ended up shooting? Yeah, we... Um, so we threw a show at this punk club called Don Pedro in Brooklyn, and um, this band in UK from Rochester, New York, drove down to Brooklyn, and they always wanted to be like the punk band in a movie, in like a horror movie, so they were super into being in the film, and what we kind of did was like we started the day off um, shooting, you know, the movie like you would any movie with the AD kind of telling our background actors what to do and stuff but halfway through the day 
the camera then went into B-roll mode and we really just threw a show and um, we kind of just, uh, like, the camera captured the vibe of the show. That's awesome. Um, sort of uh, going on that I- that idea that you mentioned about the the band being like we've always wanted to be the band in one of these in a in a horror film. Uh, when you were deciding to do this project, like how I guess how important to you was it to sort of do a project that was so tied to music? Like, is that also something that you sort of were specifically interested in making? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's really important to the, uh, it's so organic to the story. And I I fell in love with the concept of uh, this, like, comic book type of world uh, that featured these punks that go up against this killer park ranger. So that's really, I fell in love first and foremost with that. But then, as you know, you start building out the concept and putting the movie together, you really start to think about not just visually, but musically and sound design uh, wise as well, how to color in the movie once you write the film. So um, it wasn't long before uh, my producer Heather and I just like kind of sat down and really started to think about like our ideal, uh, our dream fans for it. And then, you know, I would sit with my DP and, and talk about like the color palette and with my production designer. It's like, so it, it's just like the course of making a movie is just so much fun because you're really getting to explore the movie in all these different ways. You mentioned uh, how sort of the kind of one of the aesthetics of the film is this this comic book style. How did you sort of go about um, capturing that in the film? Yeah, we really wanted it to kind of feel like like creep show because what we wanted to do was kind of mash up. Um, you know, 80s punk movies like Return of the Living Dead and Class of 1984 with, like, 80s slashers um, and, you know, obviously Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday 13th, and also, uh, like, Evil Dead. And um, just kind of mashing up these worlds, um, also at the same time centering it around this, like, girl who's trying to find herself and cut all this noise out. But visually, to me, I really saw um, this kind of, like creep show world but with the color palette of uh like lisa frank who you know if you're if you're an eight-year-old girl in the early 90s you might know her stickers and notebooks and folders and stuff so i was really as a child i was really into her and i was always like so wanting to see a horror movie that really embraced her aesthetic but was a horror movie um and embraced like glitter and, uh, you know, neon colors and whatnot. So, uh, that, I mean, it's kind of all these things kind of came together as I was thinking about the concept and thinking about the look. It just all started to, like, feel correct for this world. <laughs> nice. Um, and I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of, like, the, the um, effects and the gore. It's... Uh, really I don't it's really well done um so I guess maybe a little bit more about about that about that and like how was it to shoot that was that is that something that you've done before in your previous work yeah so I produced a couple of features and we've worked with um Brian Spears and Pete Gurna who are makeup effects artists um 
I've worked with them uh, many times before, but not from a directing perspective. So it was really special for me to get to, like, work with them on this project. And again, you know, we talked about, like, 80s movies. We talked about, they, they, uh, Brian told me that um, in Lost Boys, they put glitter in the blood. So that just made so much sense. We were like, yes, let's put glitter in our blood. Um, and then when you're actually shooting, I feel like when, uh, you know, they roll up in their van and they have like this van full of body parts and it brings like new life to the set. Everyone's like so excited when uh, Brian pulls up with all of his body parts in his trunk. <laughs> um, so uh, those are always really fun to shoot. Of course, like, just in terms of shooting, effects take time, so it's really important to, like, budget that time. Um, but it's always really fun to play with blood. <laughs> nice. Um, and also in the film, I mean, it was, I think, the the cast in it was so strong. Um when you were casting it, did you have specific people in mind or, you know, when you were, when you were casting your punks, like, did they, did they all kind of come to the film afterwards or was it something that you had sort of had in mind before in terms of actors? Yeah. Um, well, Jeremy Holm, who plays the Ranger, uh, my co-writer, Jocko, and I were writing the script with him in mind because he's, he was friends with Jocko and, Jocko was like, yo, check him out. Uh, he's in Mr. Robot and House of Cards. So I started watching those TV shows. And I was just like, yeah, this guy's amazing. He looks like an evil Superman. He has, like, an amazing chin. I love him. And then, uh, but, you know, it was still all kind of in theory until we finally felt uh, the script was in a place where we could share it with him. And he read it, and he totally clicked with it. And we all um, met up and... He, we just bonded. And then we knew who our ranger was, and that was really exciting because that definitely helped us build the, you know, it hit in my mind, like, okay, uh, this is what the movie is is going to look and feel like with our villain. And then uh, we worked with the casting director, Lois Drapkin, who, um, you know, really connected us with a lot of New York's, like, up-and-coming talent. And um, for Chelsea, I was at South by Southwest in 2000. 17, which is when we were casting, and Lois told me to check out a movie called The Transfiguration, and I saw Chloe Levine, who's the lead of that movie, and uh, I just, her performance was super mesmerizing. It's a totally different type of character, but nonetheless, like, Chloe brings so much nuance to that role, so I just, like, knew she would bring so much nuance to Chelsea, and then we met at South by and, like, hung out, and, um, we totally clipped over the project. And then a couple weeks later, we were shooting. When can people see your film? I mean, it already screened it after dark, but um, are there screenings coming up or is there any other release information? Yeah, so Shudder is going to be releasing it um, in 2019. And also uh, we're going to... Uh, A71 is releasing on uh, home video as well in 2019. So it's coming very soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking a bit of time and chatting with me. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks to Jen for taking some time to speak to me. You can, of course, find more Toronto After Dark film festival coverage over on the archive at film.cjru.ca. Here's Joey Vong with a review of Call Me By Your Name. 
Call Me By Your Name, directed by Luca Guadagnino, was the sensual masterpiece that claimed its spot as one of the most beloved and talked about films of 2017. It's been a whole year since the film's wide release, and the piece still shimmers with the realism, authenticity, and nostalgia that brought it on its acclaim in the first place. Set in the summer of 1983 in Italy, the film stars up-and-coming Timothy Chalamet as the precocious, musically gifted 17-year-old Elio Perlman who spends his summers with his family in a 17th century villa reading books and transcribing music. He soon meets the handsome and flirtatious, confident 24-year-old graduate student Oliver, portrayed by Army Hammer, who's working as the annual intern hired to assist Elio's father with research. Amidst the surroundings drenched in light and personality, the pair slowly discover and indulge in an awakening desire that can only be met with inevitable heartbreak. And yet, somehow, as the summer progresses, the possibilities for these young men seem infinite. Call Me By Your Name is nothing short of a vibrant masterpiece. It's a work of art that pulses with feeling and is a product of genuine talent all across the board. The film lives and dies in the near-flawless performances presented by the leads. Hammer's Oliver is passionate and physically fearless. You can really tell that the actor had no trouble sliding into his character's mindset and mannerisms. Chalamet's Elio is a triumph. The 22-year-old makes it clear that he doesn't need a lengthy script to make a point. His body language alone conveys everything that needs to be said. He knows his character's mind like the back of his hand and the expertise shows. The chemistry the two hold is almost tangible. This being said, Hammer and Chalamet's performances would be nothing without Guadagnino's direction and the words of James Ivory. The Oscar-winning screenplay is smart, melodic, heart-wrenching, and incredibly quotable, all the while staying realistic. Everything about this film works so well, and more importantly, it all works well together. From the writing to the direction, acting, music, editing, and cinematography, with the way that everything comes together, the film in its entirety feels surprisingly intimate. It is as if we've cracked open a window and we are spying in on the characters' lives in their most tender of moments. At its core, Call Me By Your Name is really about self-exploration, acceptance, and vulnerability. It's able to emphasize the notion that love, lust, and desire spare no boundaries while also exploring the ideas of basic human emotion, relationships, and connection. The film cuts deep and resonates rightfully. As a testament to the secrets of youth, magic of summer, and the luster of a faded memory, all bound together by an atmospheric gem of a soundtrack, Call Me By Your Name is an instant classic that any fan of romance, realism, and or coming-of-age stories is bound to enjoy. If you have yet to see this film, it's available to Toronto Public Library members for free viewing on Canopy. For CJRU, 1280am in Toronto, I'm Joey Vong. Thanks, Joey. That's all for Movie Mixtape this week. To find out more about the films discussed and to hear past episodes, you can visit the archive at film.cjru.ca. For Movie Mixtape, I'm Elisa Matthews.